This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now, you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. Welcome to the vault. Today, an exciting episode. We have taken many of the things that we have um, on Abraham Lincoln's assassination um, out of the vault. Because as we were thinking about it uh, on an earlier episode, there's a whole nother level of stories to tell on Abraham Lincoln. We can talk about the slaves and the chains of slavery that he broke. We can talk about what the Civil War did to the man. We can talk about the march to freedom with drums and guns in the Civil War. But we actually want to tell you what happened not just the day he was wearing this collar around his coat when he was in Ford's Theater, when John Wilkes Booth had written his manifesto and said crazy things about how God would protect him because he was doing the right. It didn't start at Ford's Theater. In fact, it didn't start in his second term. He was killed um, in April of 1865. But the plot to kill him, the plot to kidnap him, actually began in 1861 as he was making his way on the train to Washington. It didn't stop even after his death. You won't believe when the hunt for Abraham Lincoln actually ended. It was 1901. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to Baltimore in 1861, where it all began as people were singing this in the streets. And Abraham Lincoln looked up and said, My gosh, I had no idea what has happened to our country. David happened to be coming by the vault today because he's bragging about a drum that he got from the estate of George Washington. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. We're going to start doing Founding Fridays again. Oh, cool. Uh, and we want you to bring all the stuff. Got it. So we can drool on it. We'll do it here from the <laughs> That's vault. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was here because we're working on all kinds of stuff. And I said, come on into the vault because we have a bunch of new Abraham Lincoln stuff that you know about mm-hmm. and drooled over yourself. We've done a show on Abraham Lincoln and opening the box. But as we started talking about it, Jason, who used to be in um, National um, Intelligence, or what, what was it? What was the deal? Is some spook thing he was doing? Can't tell you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but he he was in uh, um, uh, National Intelligence, and and then he left the military and became uh, a protector. And he was actually one of my protectors for a while. 
Um, by the way, this is Jeremy, who is also uh, the curator of the, of the museum that we hope to build with David and I. But we were sitting here and we were talking last week, or whenever we filmed that show, and I said, we have to do a show on his actual, exactly how it happened, because there's a lot of amazing things. Like, where did, your name is mud around this town. Where did that come from? Came from the Lincoln assassination. Wrongly, they say, wrongly. But that's when Jason said, you know, in executive protection school, we studied the assassination of Lincoln, but the one that happened in 1861. I had never heard this story before. So can you take us through? Tell us, because when, when he first won, people were already trying to kill him. People from the South um, had sent him, I think, poison fruit uh, and, and tried to you know, poison him, tried to kill him. There was a plan to try to kidnap him. And he's coming into uh, Washington, and he has no idea how bad it is. And there's no such thing as Secret Service. And he doesn't want all the pomp and circumstance. He doesn't want all of the, the National Guard or the military, the Union soldiers, to come with him. Uh, and the train companies freak out. And it's actually a train company that hires Pinkerton, right? Right. And explain who Pinkerton was, if anybody doesn't know. Pinkerton worked for the railroad, uh, railroads at the time. Um, you might have heard him from, Dave and I were talking before, about you'd hear about him on Westerns. You know, like, oh my gosh, you know, the bandits better be careful because the Pinkertons are showing up. You right. know what I mean? Didn't Pinkerton become like a, an armored car service or a carriage service where they w- would protect the valuables of the payroll of the, of the railroads, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It, it, it morphed into a lot of different things. What it, what it originally, what, originally was was a, basically the first private detective agency. That's, that's what, initially what it was in the beginning. Um, but you're exactly right. The railroads hired, this, hired Pinkerton saying, look, we're very nervous about the fact that Lincoln just wants to ride on our railroad, you know, unaccompanied with any security, all the way up to D.C. We've been hearing some crazy things are going on, especially in the city of Baltimore. I mean, like, some wild stuff, like cordoning off all of Washington, D.C., shutting it down and holding the, the nation hostage, basically, until they changed the government and elected a new president. So they were freaking out. This was, like, big-time stuff. Again, can I jump in on that real quick to add to that climate? At the time, before this happens, what had happened just a few weeks before this, in the House and the Senate of the United States, the Southern senators and reps went to the podiums and said, we are leaving Congress. The nation is destroyed. We're gone. This guy's been elected president. He's going to be inaugurated, and he's actually going to free the slaves, and we can't be part of that nation. So U.S. senator after U.S. senator, U.S. rep after U.S. rep went to the floor and offered their resignation. They're going back to the South. They cannot be part. So the climate is that hostile. How many, how many states had seceded at this point when he's coming in? Seven. 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 Yeah. That's the final number, isn't it? At no, it's first? 11. 11. Because and, and the original 11. Confederate flag has the seven stars. That's the first. Yeah, okay. It's How like, long did it take before the 11? It was, it was just a matter of weeks. Okay. It, it did not take long to get to 11. That's why that flag is so expensive. That's that <laughs> yeah. seven star. Yeah, because yeah. I've seen one, and it was like well, that's, crazy that's like getting expensive. A, it's like getting a 13-star American flag yeah. versus a 48- or 50-star okay. American right. flag. Okay. So... Pinkerton, you have a picture of Pinkerton? We do. We've got a couple right here. Okay. This is the, probably the most famous picture. You don't know who the guys are in it. Show which one's Pinkerton. It's Pinkerton right here. Okay. As well as him, same scenario, same place, by uh, Lincoln's favorite photographer. And Tietum, it, I believe. Is, what is that saying. Alex Gardner? It is. He plays, wow, I didn't know that. Alex Gardner plays a really important role 
at the end of this story. Okay, so go up and t- show us exactly what the railroads did and what happened. So this is the craziest story that pretty much no one has ever heard of. And I'll show you right now basically how all this went down. Okay. So this story is part Clint Eastwood Wild Western movie and part Jason Bourne. Okay. If, if, to, set this, to set the scene. All right. this, is, this. This is what, and this is what you studied when you were studying assassinations and everything else. Right. Okay. And if you want to see how to get a protector... Our protectee, uh, you know... Uh, Safely from point A to point B. This is textbook. Okay. This is how it's done. Okay. Now, keep in mind, Lincoln has already started moving from Springfield, Illinois, east, going yep. towards Washington, D.C. He's, he's yep. winding his way through. He's making stops along the way. Yep. Pinkerton, from getting some of his initial intelligence, knew that the primary threat was here in Baltimore. That's where everything was going down. So he goes in long before Lincoln is anywhere near the East Coast and goes into Baltimore. Now, figure this is about three weeks before they think that Lincoln's scheduled to arrive. So Pinkerton comes in, and he's already under the guise, under covert identities. Um, he, him and I think two other of his agents go in, and they're both, like, dressed up real snazzy. They're, like, southern, you know, their cover is southern, uh, big stockbroker, like, diplomat-type, you know, guys. And they go in, and they start hitting all the different, like, night areas around in Baltimore. They hit up several, a few hotels, um, you know, like, bars, pubs, places like that. Eventually, because of how willing they are to open up their pocketbooks, they start to get the um, attention to the separatist movement in Baltimore. And... Pretty much they find out that if they're willing to shell out the cash, they're will- the separatists are willing to let them into their inner circle. They actually fully infiltrated one of the first secessionist, anti-abolitionist movements in the country at the time. It, it went so far as one of his Pinkerton's agents actually got sworn in to this secret nighttime candle-lit cowl over the heads you got to be kidding me. Seriously, that's exactly how it went. Eyes wide shut kind of stuff. Exactly like that. And Pinkerton writes it in full detail in his biography. It's insane. But at this meeting, they get the entire plan. So what the plan is, is that on the exact date, February 23rd, as Lincoln is going through Baltimore, as Lincoln is getting out of the train and he's getting into an open carriage, he's going to drive through the middle of town, they're going to create some commotion right there at at the railway station. And then as the police are, you know, distracted, they move off to see what was going on, the entire group is going to strike. Now, Pinkerton gets this. He immediately dispatches a telegram back to Lincoln and, and his group as they're on their route over. At this point, they really only have about a week until he makes his arrival. So Lincoln makes his arrival into Philadelphia. Pinkerton shoots straight up to Philadelphia, and he goes to get a meeting with uh, Lincoln. And uh, He's talking to him, and he's like, look, you cannot go through Baltimore. If you go through Baltimore, they are set. He knew their timetables. He knew the exact time everything was going on. And the separatists had already infiltrated. They had intelligence on Lincoln's exact schedule. So they knew exactly when they were going to hit. They were ready. It was going down at that time. Lincoln said, look, I can't skip Baltimore. I can't do it. If the only way is for me to go through early, skip everything, going to Washington, D.C., I cannot do it. I've made all these uh, different schedules. I have to make my commitments in Philadelphia and Harrisburg. So Pinkerton said, okay, fine. You know, Mr. President, we'll figure it out. What their plan was is that Lincoln was going to travel along this blue route. That was where the president's rail, rail line was going to go, all the way down into D.C. So as they left Philadelphia and landed in Harrisburg, Pinkerton stayed back in Philadelphia making all of his preparations. Back in Harrisburg, there was three to five Pinkerton agents ready to spring the first part of the plan. So 
in Harrisburg, they, uh, Lincoln met up with his group with the uh, governor at the time up in Harrisburg. And um, the governor was actually read into the entire plan. He knew what was going on. Um, Lincoln re- re- expressed regret, saying, I cannot believe that it's gotten to this point. You know, I, I don't understand it, but I trust Pinkerton, and I trust the intelligence. I'm sorry that I have to, you know, have to include you into this you know, elaborate plan. But they had a big dinner, which was on the schedule. They had a big dinner at the governor's mansion there. In the middle of the governor's mansion, one of Pinkerton agents lightly tapped Lincoln on the shoulder. Lincoln knew that was his cue. said, sorry, everyone, I have to go off and use the restroom. He gets up from the table, makes a big you know, public announcement of it, and he walks back to the restroom. I'll they, alert the press, Mr. President. This, the, the president-elect will be evacuating his uh, bowels now. I mean, I would make a big announcement of going to the bathroom. Well, it's funny because it was, so they did do an announcement afterwards. They said, look, the president's not feeling well. He's going back to my house, and he's going to be retiring for the evening, so please no press calls because we don't uh, want to disturb him. Okay, that makes sense. What they actually did was they took him out the back door. Now, Lincoln was very easy to recognize at the time. You know, he was tall, taller than everybody else, had a top hat. You know, he was real slender. Everyone knew, you know, his likeness. So what they did was they said, Mr. President, can you please scrunch down about, you know, two feet or so to make yourself, you know, a lot shorter? So he scrunched down like this. They put a big overcoat over him so they couldn't tell his stature. And then they put a soft cap on him and then took off his telltale wow. top hat, a soft cap. He went out the back exit. They take him out the back exit, they put him in a car, and they get him on a train. Now, they snuck him into the very last car of the train, they did not turn the lights out on, and they closed the blinds. Now, as that train left to Philadelphia, now keep in mind, he's not supposed to be on this train. This, he's on the earliest train they could get him out of. While they're going through, Pinkerton's agents are cutting the telegraph lines that go from Philadelphia and that go from Harrisburg to Baltimore. Wow. No one knows. It's complete media blackout. They have no idea what's going on. They get him, they're on the road to Philadelphia. Now, meanwhile... Stand by for a second. David, how rare would this have been back in those days? Really rare. We didn't think like this back then, right? No, there there was some of this in the American Revolution with James Armistead and the counterintelligence he did, but this is really rare. This is not ethical warfare. You're killing people, right? This this is so out of the box. This is so far out of the box. Now, keep in mind who later established the Secret Service. It's Pinkerton. Now, Pinkerton is writing, right now at this moment, he's writing the standard operating procedures for modern-day Secret Service advance work. He's doing it right now, on the fly. It's amazing. So, meanwhile, back in Philadelphia, they have to re-catch the train, and instead of taking the original route, get a separate train, so that the agents in Baltimore, if they're hanging out, they don't notice what's going on. The first female detective of the time was under Pinkerton's employer. Her name was Kate Warren. She was in Philadelphia. Now, she had her own cover identity. She's posing as a woman that's very, very distraught about her brother. Her brother is coming in from Harrisburg. He's an invalid. He is deathly ill. So she bribed the conductor and said, look, he's deathly ill. I, I don't know if he's contagious or not. You know what I mean? And plus, it's just I don't, I don't want to be an inconvenience to the rest of your passengers. So ch- could you please block off the entire passenger car on the very end of the train? Here's some money for your trouble. And make sure no one snoops around back there and, we'll, and draw all the curtains closed. He sees the wad of money, feels sorry for the woman. He's like, yeah, sure, why not? He even helps them. He, he, he takes off all this the people. He, he gets them all away so no one can tell. They get, they get Lincoln off the train. Again, he's in his disguise. He gets off. Um, Kate Warren greets him and says, oh, my brother, how nice to see you. He, Lincoln greets her with a soft cap. They get on. Again, in the dark, completely in the dark. I, I thought this was interesting. As the train, the alternate train is leaving after they've got him back there, 
They said that they couldn't make noise, they couldn't talk, but they couldn't stop Lincoln because he was trying to lighten the mood. He could tell that everybody else was feeling, you know, stressed out. So he, every once in a while, it'd be completely dark and completely quiet. But Lincoln was cracking a joke every once in a while, much to Pinkerton's mm. annoyance because he wanted it to be as quiet and mm. <laughs> as possible. So they get him from Philadelphia to Baltimore. When they arrive in Baltimore, the plan then was is they didn't want to get him out of the car. So they bribed some more people to actually unhook the passenger car in Baltimore, hook it up to a team of horses, and then take that team and the, with, the, with the car in tow over to another train station and then go through to Washington. Now, it's in the middle of the night. All of the secessionist agents are still asleep. Now, they've gotten their marching orders. They, they know who's going to actually pull the trigger, everything. They're ready for the plan to spring. But it's in the next 12 hours, not at this point. They, they're not even awake at this point. So the, the plan goes off without a hitch in Baltimore. They get him, they unhook the, uh, the car. They're going through town. I thought this was interesting, Glenn, because Lincoln still, I don't think it really hit him. As far as what Pinkerton said was that, you know, his spirits were high. I think that he was kind of into this whole, you know, Civil War era James Bond type thing, to be honest. He, he, I think he was almost kind of excited about it. But then as they're driving through town, he heard people singing Dixie. And Pinkerton said it was at that point that the weight of just how split the country was really hit home at that point. And he could not believe that this thing, this politics was, was driving men to kill each other. And that was a big turning point. Eventually, they got him hooked up to the other train. He goes through Baltimore, lands in Washington, D.C. I think it's 6 a.m. that morning, right when the secessionists were starting to get their plan ready to spring into action. Word hit. They realized that they had been foiled. It was all due to Pinkerton and his agents. This is not the only foiled attempt. It happened later. But I want to go back. In between Baltimore and Washington was another guy who helped um, put all of the military um, on the path for his suspected arrival. So it wasn't just uh, Pinkerton but it was Charles Pomeroy Stone. And do you have that piece, Jeremy? I do. It's up here. Let me get it. Charles Pomeroy Stone is um, a guy um, who actually helped... Um, he, he was the first guy to, with Pinkerton to coordinate the military and protect him in Washington because things were so bad. Uh, Lincoln knew him. Lincoln was grateful for it. But then he was... He was not mean to the Southerners. You know, it was kill them and hate them. And he didn't. And he thought, you know, until this thing is solved, we shouldn't return the slaves. I mean, we should return the slaves because it's their rightful property. I'm for the North. I am a Union soldier, but I'm not going to hate them. And it's property until this thing is solved. And so the Union and Congress hated him hated him and wanted him out. And um, he was blamed for something that he really didn't have anything to do with. Um, he had given somebody else the order to go in, and, and he went in and, and uh, he sent guys in, and there was a miscommunication of where the, the supporting troops were. He thought they were going to be right behind him, but they had changed uh, the location or something and miscommunication, and so they had left. He sends scouts up, and he says, go find out where the, the Confederates are. They go up in the middle of the night, and they look over this ledge, and they see these troops 
and they said, the tents are all there and the men are all standing there quietly. Well, he says, okay, go back, do what you have to do, get them. But once you get them, if they start to, if they start to chase, don't go after them. Let me come in, let me know, and I'll get the guys and we'll take the whole army in. Well, what the scouts had seen was a cornfield. And so now the sun was up and there was a cornfield and they felt stupid and they were like, oh, crap. And so they started pursuing. All of them were killed because they were all there waiting. And uh, so when they stumbled on them, they were all killed. And Pomeroy Stone is blamed Blamed for it. it. Took the blame. But, long story short, he's actually the guy. He's driven out of America. Mm -hmm. uh, And he's the guy who actually is asked by um, America to build the base of the Statue of Liberty. I want to bring Nathan in because he's one of our researchers. Um, And you've spent a week now with a secession speech. Do you know anything? Where was this given? It's from 1860. Was he, was he part of what Jason just laid out? It, it's possible that he was aware of it because he's from Baltimore, right. Maryland, and he, he was known to meet regularly in this hotel, the Barnum's Hotel, in the barbershop. And that's where this was all hatched, meetings. was at the barbershop? Right. Is that barbershop? Does anybody know? Does that still exist? I don't know. Ooh, good huh. question. Um, I, I'm just reading this, and this is so... It is so, what is that? This is um, Booth's, in his own handwriting, secession speech from 1860. Oh, wow. And it's, it's crazy town. Um, he says in it, um, I saw John Brown hung, and I'm blessed the justice of my country's laws. I may say I helped hang John Brown, and while I live, I shall think with it uh, with joy. Um, he says a couple of other things. He says, what's the cause of all of this? First, I know the South has a right, according to the Constitution, to keep and hold them slaves. And we, uh, and we have no right under that Constitution to interfere with hers. And instead of looking upon slavery as a sin, I hold it as happiness for them, the slaves, and a social and political blessing for us. Um, By the way, do you know that's almost identical to the line in the Democrat platform of 1860? That's almost identical to what the platform said in 1860 really? for Democrats. So he, has, he is living under some uh, delusion, but he also talks about you can't, they don't have the right to um, deny us of slaves. This is where that Tenth Amendment phobia comes mm-hmm. from, right? Part of it, and, and, and today it's been respawned, and that secession was all about states' rights. Right. Uh, time out. The 11 states, you look at their documents of secession, they all said it's because he's going to end slavery. And there's, if they were states' rights, so let states have rights, then why did the Confederate Constitution no, require I, you to be slavery, be pro-slavery, to be part of the Confederacy? I was in Richmond, and I went to the Confederate Museum, which is a great museum, and I happened to be looking for a copy of the Constitution, the, the Confederate, Confederate Constitution. And so one of my... Gavin Boy's one of my um, protectors at the time. Um, I said to him, I'm looking for a copy of the Constitution. Well, I'm in the gift shop. And he takes it upon himself to go ask the curator. And he says, we have Mr. Beck here, and he's looking for a copy of the Constitution. He's like, oh, I got one. And so the guy comes over, and I'm expecting, you know, just a little, you know, $1.25 deal. And he says, come on with me. I'll, I'll get it for you. So I go in, and he opens up the safe, and he pulls out 
the vellum, lambskin, mm-hmm. original constitution with Texas mm-hmm. pasted in because it was late. That's right. Um, and, uh, and it says right at the beginning, he says, spend as much time as, as you want. I'm like, I, don't, I haven't washed my hands all day. I mean, I don't think you, you shouldn't do this. Um, but I, <laughs> I sat there and I read the whole thing. And it starts with um, that you cannot be a member of this union Unless you take slaves. That's right. And there's the end of the state's there's right the argument. There's the state's right. It's over. And, and it's every over. secession document says we're doing it yeah. because of slavery. Yeah. It's all there. Um, uh, he says in this, he said, A dearth of industry will infest the land. Famine will range around. Banks will fail. And families will be ruined. Wow. Um, so he gives this speech. But he actually tries to um, kidnap um, after the, the, the second inauguration, he wants to kidnap, right? Right. What happens? Well, he has these, the same conspirators that he uses later on the night of the assassination. It's the same group. So Louis Powell, George Atzerat, uh, David Harold, and actually John Surratt Jr., uh, the, the son of Mary Surratt, whose boarding house is where they had a lot of their meetings. So these guys, it was very simple. They were going to, they knew the president was going to be attending a play at uh, a place outside of Washington. So it was a little bit rural. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just going to kidnap him because they didn't have, you know, secret service. And here's the crazy thing. So they prepare for this kidnapping, and they are all ready. They're waiting for the president to come to this play. But they're staying at some hotel right where this play is. Well, as they're waiting for him to come into the play, they had their information wrong. He wasn't going to the play. He was going to give a speech at the hotel they stay at. So they're waiting at this play. He gives the speech. He leaves. They realize he's not coming. They're headed back to the hotel, and everybody's like, Abraham Lincoln was just at the hotel. Oh! Yeah. Oh! And Booth loses it. He swears he's going to kill him, but then the Civil War ends. But i got to back up a bit. Do you have the picture? Is that the I picture, do. Jeremy? This is the picture here. I love this. Show this. This is his uh, second inauguration speech in the front in the middle here that you can see standing is Lincoln. Up in the uh, balcony here is John Wilkes Booth who is looking at, and he talks later when he's writing to one of his good friends and says, I was so close that if I wanted to, I could have assassinated him well, that he day. Says, he says even more. After the kidnapping, failed attempt, that's when he rants to his friends, I should have killed him then. I had the shot. Had I not known that we could take him, kidnap him, and hold him, for host- uh, you know, hold him as a hostage, um, I would have killed him at the inauguration. In front of everybody. In front of everybody. Um, all right, so now we get to um, April 9th. The, on April 9th, the uh, South surrenders. On the 11th, Booth and his Confederates are in Washington, and so is Lincoln. And Booth is up at the balcony uh, on the family, in the family residence. And he is standing at the balcony, and he is addressing the people who have gathered for the end of the war. You've got to remember, Washington is actually south of the Mason-Dixon line. So it's in the south. It's Virginia. Mm-hmm. And there are Confederates you know, coming and going and everywhere. You don't know who's who. And there's, I think, 10,000 soldiers in Washington, D.C. at the time. But no Secret Service. 
So he's standing up at the balcony, and he's written a speech about the end of the war, and he's given this speech, and in the back is Booth. Uh, I'm sorry, he's not even in the back. He's under Lincoln's window, so he's actually looking up at him. Somebody from the crowd um, starts crying out, Light! Light! We can't see him! Light! Little Tad Lincoln is sitting at his father's feet. He's collecting the papers because as he would read it, he would just drop the speech and his son was picking him up. When he started hearing light, light, Tad looked up to him and said, oh, daddy, can I hold the light? And so he got a lantern and he held the light. Well, Mary was there, his wife. And Mary was with uh, Elizabeth Keckley. Elizabeth Keckley is Mary Lincoln's tailor, her dressmaker, and they're good friends. Mary is upset by all of this because she just thinks this is so dangerous. And by this time, I think he had told her about the dream, had he not? Because right. he, he had a dream that he was going to be killed. Um, and so she is just distraught. And Mary says and whispers, he is so lit up. He is now just this, this person completely in the darkness that everyone can see. If somebody wants to kill him, now is the perfect time. This isn't safe. Booth is thinking the same thing. I can kill him right now. He decides to wait. Um, Lincoln finishes the speech, goes to bed. That's the 11th. Booth said on the 11th that night, that will be the last time that blank will ever give a speech. Three days later, he made good on that promise. All right, I want to go through kind of quickly um, what happened on the day Abraham Lincoln died. He was, he, he, they didn't know that he was going to go to this play. The only reason why the conspirators found out about it is because Mary Todd, as a courtesy, which would never happen today, sent Ford's Theater a note in the morning and said, oh, by the way, we'll be attending tonight. Mm -hmm. So they could publicize that the president's going to be there to sell more tickets. Mm -hmm. Because um, John Wilkes Booth was an actor, he was the Leonardo DiCaprio of the time, he happened to be at the theater at noon when he heard that. And that's what changed his course, he said, tonight's the night. So there was a there was a scheme that was going on. This guy is Lewis Powell. He's 21 years old. What kills me is if you look at this, this photograph is an Abercrombie and Fitch uh, ad yeah. or or a Ralph Lauren ad. Yeah. Yeah. He's a mean, mean dude. He was selected when they were going to tr- kidnap him because he was big, he was strong, mm-hmm. and he could lift. Now think of that, Lincoln. 6'4". He could lift Lincoln up and haul him away. He's the muscle behind it. He's actually stationed here at the Seward House. Seward was the Secretary Secretary of of War, right? Right. Secretary of State. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, And he was stationed with this guy, David Harold. David is holding the horses out front. You want to tell this story, how it happened? Sure. Because they're assigned... To at the same time he's being killed, these two are here. Uh, Lewis says, "I'm going in. Wait here." Right. Okay. So 
the only way he could get into the Seward house, because it's 10 o'clock at night, he knows the doors are going to be locked. They have a brilliant scheme uh, because Secretary of State Seward had been in a carriage accident just a few weeks earlier, and which had almost killed him. So he's laid up in bed. So they know he's an easy target if they can get in the house. So uh, Powell, the, the scheme is to go up to the door with a little package and say, I've got medicine from the doctor with orders to take it directly to Seward myself. So that gets him in the house, but they don't want to let him up the stairs. And so there's some altercations that, that are going to happen because two of Seward's sons are in the house. Um, and in fact, Powell, when he can't get up the stairs past the older son, actually has the, the pistol point blank in his face to shoot him, and the pistol misfires. Pistol off, yeah. So he hits him with it repeatedly instead. It actually cracks his skull, though the, the, the son later survived. So... Longer story short, he breaks into Seward's room, but it's dark in there, of course. All he has is his knife now to work, and he actually jumps on the Secretary of State's bed and slashes at his face. Right. His daughter was in the room, right? Daughter was in the room. Right. Uh, She runs to the window and screams murder out in the street, which is what spooked the other guy, guy. David Harold. Spooks the horses, spooks him. Right. And he knows the area. He doesn't know the area. He is. He was hired because I can get you through anywhere. I know exactly where we're going. So he panics. Mm-hmm. He takes the horses and he leaves and he runs and escapes. He tries to finish the job. He doesn't right. kill Seward. He leaves. He escapes. And uh, Powell just starts going around. He doesn't know where he's going. And he's looking for some place to hide. That's why he gets caught. Right. Um, here is at the National Hotel... This is where it starts with uh, John Wilkes Booth. Correct. And John Wilkes Booth makes his way to the National Hotel into Ford's Theater. He comes in and he, he goes right upstairs, right to the presidential box, and there's an antechamber there. Mm-hmm. And um, his valet, the guy who was riding on top of the carriage with the president on the way, mm-hmm. no secret service, um, he is sitting right outside the door in this little antechamber, he says, hello, we don't know what it was, but Booth shows him a card, right? right? And he reads this card, and he says, oh, Mr. Booth, welcome. He goes in, and Jeremy, do you have the book of the play? Yes, I Because do. he has, thank you, he, he's waiting. He goes into, right behind the president, and where did he get the little board? He had a little piece of wood that he jammed so nobody could open the door. Correct. He had placed the board in there. Uh, that afternoon as he was making his preparations okay. for that So night. he yeah. jams the door so it's closed and no one can get in, and then he waits. He knows this play. It's a famous yeah. play. Here are the lines. Um, I am aware, Mr. Trenchard, that you are not used to the manners of good society, and that alone will excuse the impertinence of which you have been guilty. And then he says, Don't know of manners good society, huh? Well, I guess I know enough to turn you inside out, old gal. Booth is ready because the next line, I guess, is funny. I don't really understand it. Um, But um, he's waiting because he knows there's going to be huge laughter after this and it'll cover the gunshot. And that's when she says, well, you soctolizing old man trap. Uproarious laughter. Boom. Shoots him. He then jumps off the stage, breaks his leg, um, and makes his, his escape. One other person is in this, actually two. 
The Surratt House is where Mary Surratt, where is she? She is uh, 42 years old. She has been a part of this from the beginning. Um, Mary, her house is where they've met the whole time. She went to Baltimore to bring Booth's clothing, right? Well, she had a package of... uh of some things that he had brought to her that afternoon for her to take to this other boarding house that she owned. It wasn't quite in Baltimore, but it okay. was in Maryland. Okay. And and she did that. She delivered that package okay. of things. That's what him. got her um, her reward. And there was one other guy. His name is uh, George uh, Atzelrod. He actually was part of the earlier gang, but didn't want to do it. Right. And Booth meets him and says, I'm going to turn you in. Right? Right. And if I don't turn you in, I'm, I just might kill you myself. His job was to kill the vice president, Johnson. That's right. Yeah, he was part of the original kidnapping uh, crew, but when they came up yeah, with this new three plan... they were going to get that yeah. night. They, they were after three folks, Sec- the, Seward, Johnson, and Lincoln. Right. And they got one of them. But they all uh, escaped. They were all caught. And this is what happened to them. And they're all hung. Now, what's interesting to me about this is they were, they were all surprised. They got the verdict, and the judge um, sent little red pieces of paper to each of them in their cell and handed it to them, and it was a death sentence, and it said it'll be carried out tomorrow morning. And they heard from their cell the pounding of the nails of the wood uh, for this. And Mary Surratt is the first woman to ever be executed in the United States. They said that she was so traumatized by it that she needed a guard and a priest to help her up there. When they tied her hands, she said, they're a little tight. And the soldier apparently looked at her and said, won't be long, don't worry about it. Um, The um, Lewis Powell... He was still really arrogant, right? Kind of very stubborn. He was a Confederate soldier. Yeah. He had actually survived Gettysburg, which is amazing. He was taken, he was taken a prisoner, prisoner of war. Right. Yeah. So he's really hostile, and the executioner looks at him and kind of admires the fact that he's, you know, courageous. Tough guy. Yeah, tough guy. And he comes up to him, and he puts the noose, and he whispers in his ear, I'm going to make it so you die quickly. And Powell just said, whatever, it's your call. Um, and they hung them with George uh, Azelrod saying, please, no, wait, please, please, no, and cut off in the middle of his sentence. They all died. The reason why these pictures are interesting mm-hmm. is because they were taken by Alexander Gardner, the guy who took that picture of Lincoln with Pinkerton, who was favorite photographer. But I want to wrap this all up with this date. We think it's all over for Abraham Lincoln when he dies. But his tragedy actually carried on till 1901. So Abraham Lincoln is put into his coffin. And he lays in state. And the flowers that you see here on the coffin, here's one of them. Now, you would think that this would be the end of the story, but surprisingly, this story takes off again 
about 10 years later with these two guys. Now, Pinkerton, the guy who was the first, starts the Secret Service, at the very beginning of the story, the Secret Service does more than just protect the president. They also work for the Treasury Department. And they are looking for counterfeiters. These two guys work for uh, Big Jim Connolly, I think his name is. And um, Jim needs to get one of the best engravers out of prison. He's just been sentenced to prison for 10 years. And so he needs a way to be able to get the government to release this guy out of prison. That's why he hires these two men. These two men are going to kidnap somebody. Except the somebody is Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, believe it or not, was put into a little teeny sarcophagus. His coffin just dropped into a sarcophagus. And there was a big scandal and and trouble between Mary Lincoln and the people of Illinois because they wanted to make a big deal out of it. And she's like, he is my husband. I want him in this cemetery and leave him alone. And so they put him in this sarcophagus and they just seal it, not even with cement, they just seal it with plaster of Paris. And so these guys have this idea that we can get this guy out of prison if we steal the body of Abraham Lincoln. They try. And they actually, because these guys have never robbed a grave before, they need an expert, a grave robbing expert. And they've made a new friend. Just like we learned at the beginning with the Secret Service and Pinkerton, they went in and they posed as people that they weren't. The Secret Service had already infiltrated this ring and they found out that these guys needed a grave robber. That's exactly what the Secret Service pretended they were, a grave robber. And so one night, the three of them set out to steal the body of Abraham Lincoln. So it's kind of a comedy of errors. They, they break into the mausoleum and they're going to steal, but they have no idea that the coffin weighs 500 pounds itself and they can't move the coffin. They don't know what to do. That's when a gunshot goes off accidentally outside. They panic, they run out. It's the Secret Service running towards them. They tackle them and they take them down. What they didn't know is there was no body in the mausoleum. In fact, no one knew there wasn't a body in the mausoleum. John Carroll Powell, uh, Power, he is the uh, caretaker of Abraham Lincoln's body and the cemetery. He found out that there was trouble coming and he, unbeknownst to everyone, went to two gentlemen and said, I need to swear, swear you to secrecy. No one can know this. I need to move the body of Abraham Lincoln right now and bury him. Until 1901, they kept the secret that Abraham Lincoln's body wasn't in the sarcophagus. It had been buried in an unmarked grave. No one knew where it was except the caretaker and the two men that put him there. 
the reason why we know it now is because they finally broke their silence when the state decided that's not good enough for Abraham Lincoln and built a real sarcophagus 10 feet below the earth, concrete, and sealed his body for safekeeping. So finally, the long nightmare of Abraham Lincoln would be over and he could finally rest in peace. Experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.